Money FM 89.3, best of drive time. It's time now to take a look at headlines out of uh, the United States. And we are paying attention to the U.S. Supreme Court ruling that race can no longer be considered as a factor in university admissions. Now, this landmark ruling appends decades-old U.S. policies of what was known then as affirmative action or positive discrimination. That's not all. The Supreme Court has also dealt a fatal blow to U.S. President Joe Biden's plan to cancel student debt uh, for tens of millions of Americans. But what do these rulings mean and what kind of impact will they have in the years to come? On the line with us is Tricia Craig, Vice President, Engagement and Senior Lecturer of Social Sciences, Sociology and Political Science, Yale and U.S. College. Good afternoon, uh, Tricia. How are you? Hi, Elliot. I'm great. Staying dry. <laughs> that, is, that is good, uh, Trisha. So let's uh, try to understand what's happening in the U.S. because if you just pay attention to the last uh, two things we talked about and the last two developments there, it looks like the Supreme Court is turning back everything that was progressive in terms of U.S. Uh, policies. Yes, they were really on a roll uh, last week. There were those two cases that you mentioned, uh, a couple of others. Um, But I think that this, as you mentioned, is going to have repercussions for a long time. With the affirmative action case, this was about college admissions. You know, we think about affirmative action across many sectors of society, but this was particularly about admissions to uh, selective institutions. This, The case was brought objecting to the admissions process at Harvard and University of North Carolina in particular, but their practices were fairly widespread across this group of selective schools. And what the Supreme Court said is that it's illegal to take race specifically into mm-hmm. account when selecting students. So that means no quotas for members of specific racial groups, um, no special point system where you get extra points for belonging to one of those groups. I mean, it's it's incredible just hearing you describe this, Trisha. I mean, for, for Tim and myself here in Asia, this is not something you hear about often or not something that we would have encountered. Race-based college admissions, gosh, you no. thought results would have been enough. So, So what happens now then? Well, you know, everybody was expecting this. I mean, the, the, the court had really, I think, telegraphed that, that this mm-hmm. was going to be the decision they took. But it's still, it means a big change for colleges. And we've seen in states like California and Michigan, who previously struck down race as an admissions factor um, in their public systems through voter initiatives, we have seen dramatic changes in the composition of their campuses. So, for example, there are fewer black and Hispanic students. There are more whites and Asians. And presumably this will be true for a lot of schools going forward. Well, let's uh, talk about, Trisha how this will impact the students themselves. Because I, I think I am a product of preferential treatment. Not no, preferential no, no. treatment, <laughs> but of affirmative action. I mean, I came from Vancouver yeah, and yeah, I know yeah. for a mm-hmm. fact that the... The program, the broadcast program Mm, I went into took me in because I was the only, well, one of two visible minorities at that time. Same Mm -hmm. thing with my first job. I know I was the token Asian on air. So I took advantage of that. But, I mean, at the back of my head, I would rather be hired or be taken into the program because of the skills that I bring in. And I know I was probably, but still it doesn't help that it feels that way. Yeah, wow. So, well, I think it's important, but I do think it's important to to remember that when students are admitted, they're not unqualified, right? They are certainly students who mm-hmm. are capable of thriving at these institutions. 
And for many institutions, there's a sense that you're not just helping um, members of those particular groups, but that there's a general benefit Mm -hmm. to diversity because we live in a diverse, multicultural world and bringing those perspectives of other people in, their their life experiences, is not just for the members of those groups, but it's for all of the people at these institutions. Mm -hmm. Uh, Help us understand here, uh, Tricia, but if there is an applicant with exactly the same qualifications, Mm -hmm. one is white, one is Asian, one is African-American, one is Latino and there's one spot left and they're all exactly the same, how will the university choose which one to take in? Well, that's um, so right now they won't be able to use race. They will still okay. be able for, you know, demographic purposes to collect that data, but they will not be able to use it in the admissions process. One of the things there is a sort of window that Justice Roberts left open, mm-hmm. which is to say that people can not as members of a group, but as individuals talk in, for example, admissions essays about how being a member of a particular group has affected their life and their ambitions and, and things like that. So so in that sense, race and other background, socioeconomic, for example, um, qualities can be taken into account, but not as, as a group. Mm-hmm. Uh, Trisha, this is a tricky one. And as a friend, I want to apologize for asking this question. Let's, <laughs> let's try. I have a number of African-American friends and a lot of conversations they have is about breaking the cycle. I'm sure you understand where I'm coming from here. Mm -hmm. Does this help in any small measure for the African-American community to break the cycle? I'm just using this community as one example. So I think what we have to keep in mind is what's the justification for affirmative action for different groups? And initially, 30, 40 years ago, the argument was that groups had, had historically had race-based wrongs um, done to them. And in the case of African-Americans, for example, it's slavery. Other groups uh, had been disadvantaged systematically in other ways. And so that affirmative action is necessary to kind of undo those historic wrongs. Later, what the court said was, you know, that's no longer the sort of standard that you need to use, but that there's compelling reasons why diverse and particularly racially diverse Mm, groups mm. make sense. Um, And this is, it's that latter that the court today said, or last week said, that's not specific enough. And so I think there's a, there's a big question about when do you stop? Sandra Day O'Connor, justice 25 years ago, thought that it would only take about 25 years for affirmative action and then it would no longer be needed. Mm -hmm. In terms of Mm -hmm. what you talk about as, as breaking the cycle, I think one of the things that we will see some schools, not all, do is to redouble their efforts to find talented members of all kinds of groups and encourage them to apply. All right, so we'll wait and see what happens in the next couple of years then, Tricia. Now, let's uh, talk about the Supreme Court blocking uh, President Biden's student loan debt relief plan, uh, rejecting this program that would have delivered $20,000 of relief to millions of students struggling with their outstanding debt out there. So what is next for this one? Um, President Biden also has a plan for this, right? Yes. So, I mean, one of the things this means is that one of his most recognizable campaign promises that's particularly popular among his electorate, he can't follow through on. And mm-hmm. when you talk about that $20,000 that was, uh, you know, cancelable, that it's, by the way, it's about 27000 thing. Americans under the age of 24 hold about $110 billion in debt, yeah. right? That means it's really hard for them to buy and even rent homes. Mm-hmm. It's hard for them to save for retirement. It's hard for them to start a family. 
And the cost of private universities has risen 125% since 1990. So this is, you know, this is recognizably a very big problem and a drag on the American economy. So for Biden, this is part of the reason it's been such a signature for him. And so he has said, well, we'll try to salvage this plan. Um, He's going to try to use the Higher Education Act to allow the um, Department of Education to um, release and forgive some of those loans. Um, He also said that the administration will create a ramp repayment program. Uh, Presumably that means that people, young people, and and not just young people, I mean, people across the age distribution have a lot of student debt. Mm. This would allow them, the people who are struggling to pay their loans when the payments have to kick in again after the summer, it would give some relief to them. But Practically speaking, I don't think we know yet how exactly it would work, and it has the potential to be very bureaucratic, not to mention potential court challenges. All right. Uh, Tricia, uh, another week, another indictment charge on uh, <laughs> former U.S. President Donald Trump. Experts are saying preparations are being done on new Trump charges in the coming weeks. What do we know so far as far as uh, the former president's legal troubles are concerned? And ultimately, is it really going to affect his 2024 presidential bid? Um, let me talk to the first, first, but <laughs> okay. the, the second part, no, not really. <laughs> okay, um, there we go. <laughs> so the current charges that you're referring to, these all refer to the classified documents case where he's supposed to have taken these classified documents with him when he left office. Mm-hmm. The new charges, maybe as many as 45, are based on some, at least part of them are based on incriminating recordings that we now have of Trump. Last week, you probably heard news outlets aired some unbelievable recordings of him bragging to associates who had no security clearance about top secret military actions against Iran. You can hear him on the tape saying things like, this is off the record. These are classified. I couldn't declassify them. And then you hear the rustling of paper that sounds like he's showing, you know, these war plans to, you know, his buddies. So his legal troubles aren't going away. The special counsel in this case, uh, Jack Smith, he wants to bring the uh, documents uh, case to trial within the next two months or so. But we assume that Trump's lawyers will file motions to you know, set that back a while. But he's also, you know, he's still not off the hook for other legal troubles. There's the uh, election tampering case in Georgia where he was trying to get the attorney general to overturn the results of the election. We'll know by September whether that's going to trial. And then don't forget, he was indicted a while ago Hmm. in New York for falsifying business records to keep his relationship with an adult film actress secret. That case is scheduled for trial in March of next year. So he and his lawyers, assuming he can hang on to the lawyers because he goes through them quite quickly, um, they're all going to be very busy. One thing we know about America when it comes to election year, the underdog wins and it looks like the incumbent and the primary challenger are both uh, trying to play this role now. (laughs) Tricia, thank you very much uh, for giving us this analysis. Tricia Craig is Vice President of Engagement and Senior Lecturer of Social Sciences at Yale NUS College. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at audio.sg or download the audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O, audio at the App Store and Google Play.